Welcome to Guerrilla Radio, recorded March 1st and 4th, 2023. Well, last month, Justice Paul Rouleau held his nose and blessed Justin Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act to shut down the Ottawa anti-vaccine mandate protest of 2022. This, though none of the tests within the act for doing so, were met by the actions of the Freedom Convoy. And though providing a post-imprimatur to the government's actions, even Rouleau says the means used to punish Canadians exercising their democratic rights to express political opposition to government government policy, like freezing bank accounts of participants' non-participating spouses, was flawed. He provides no legal remedies. Ray McGinnis is an author and retired educator. He says he became concerned with the disconnect between mainstream media and alternative livestream coverage of the Freedom Convoy. He subsequently attended the Public Order Emergency Commission hearings for a week in Ottawa last November, and his article on the event and its aftermath, Commission reveals that Trudeau government lied about nature of truckers' protest in Ottawa last February to justify invocation of Emergencies Act is published at Covert Action Magazine. Welcome to the program, Ray. Great to be with you, Chris. Well, it's my great pleasure, of course. Now, Ray, I'd like to pick up the story, if not at its end, then at least at the beginning of its end, with Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance Chrystia Freeland's assertion regarding the protests and the emergencies econo- or the emergency economic measures order used to attach the bank accounts of whomever the government chose to do. As she said, and I quote her, in the very horrible event that this ever has to happen again, for sure there are some lessons for us. As a, as a past writing teacher, Ray, and a, and a practiced parser of language, what does Miss Freeland's statement there say to you? Could you understand it, first well, of all? Well, she, she is saying that she's acknowledging that we can all learn something from the events that have happened and the government's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. And there certainly are some lessons for us. One of the lessons, I mean, economic, the economics of the country, you know, whether the country's, uh, you know, inflation goes up and down, whether or not the there's a depression, like in the Great Depression, all of those things are not triggers for invoking an Emergencies Act. One of the lessons that we could learn is instead of using modeling to predict what might be happening regarding uh, blockades at the Ambassador Bridge or anything else, would be to draw on the actual Statistics Canada data, which showed that, uh, you know, despite the disruptions, trucks were going around the Ambassador Bridge to other ports of entry nearby, an inconvenience to be sure, but uh, they carried on bringing a product, you know, to into Canada. And at the end of the day, uh, Statistics Canada showed that there was actually an increase in, you know, in, in trade for the month of February 2022, despite the inconvenience, understandably, and so on. So there's one thing we can learn. We can also learn that, that the government chose at every turn uh, to uh, catastrophize, per- generously perhaps, about, about all that was going on about them. Uh, you have people like Janice Charay, the clerk of the Privy Council, telling people in the incident response group, uh, we need to, uh, you know, nothing is too crazy. Think outside the box. But no matter how much they thought outside about the box to wonder about what was happening on the ground, no one thought to go and speak to the protesters. And people have spoken to protesters. I mean, in Ottawa, we have nearly 100 days a year. Typically, there are protesters on Parliament Hill about something. 
And uh, we have situations, you know, going back to 1935 when there was an on to Ottawa trek from Regina and originally from Vancouver. And the protesters and, and Prime Minister R.B. Bennett did not agree at all about uh, about things. But nonetheless, the Prime Minister Bennett met with eight of the protest leaders and actually there was a heated debate and, and they were they were escorted uh, by armed guards out of the room. But nonetheless, even R.B. Bennett met with the protesters in 1935. So the surprise uh, is that unlike in 2020, when there were protests by First Nations persons primarily between early January 2020 and around the 20th of March 2020, we have via rail for passenger service, freight rail uh, across the country for over a month in each case closed down. We have a highway in, in, in Ontario blockaded. We have a pipeline under construction in British Columbia blockaded. We have multiple ferry sailings on the west coast of uh, British Columbia also being uh, interrupted and, and more. Throughout the whole 11 weeks of all of that, the Trudeau government's position and the prime minister said, what we have to do is sit down and, you know, understand these people and negotiate with them. And so it was reasonable for the protesters who were traveling to Ottawa to think that they could meet with somebody. And even if they hadn't agreed that there would be at least some possibility of, of talking to a junior minister, a deputy minister, and, uh, you know, Public Health Agency of Canada uh, folks to, to say, you know, where's the beef? Why is Canada, I mean, Canada and the U.S., uh, Mexico and the U.S., being almost the outliers around the whole globe, where other, other nations, regardless of their particular pandemic restrictions for unvaccinated citizens, nonetheless, other countries around the world regarded truck drivers as essential workers, essential services, important to the supply chain, important to the health of the economy. And, uh, and truck drivers were you know, going across the uh, Thailand, Cambodia border, all over Central America, South America, Europe, and so on, uh, without, in, without interruption, because those governments said these people uh, are important to the health of the economy. And so ironically, the, you know, Christopher Freeland is making a big deal about, uh, about the economic well-being. And, and what, what, what one of the things, the lessons that they could learn is, instead of shutting down, you know, stopping maybe 30,000 truck drivers from crossing the border in Canada, and now all of that product has to be put on planes that are flying into Toronto and other places where there's already all this chaos regarding passports and so on, adding to the, to the shamas. So there's a lot of lessons they could learn. Well, it seems particularly disingenuous. I know that the, during at the moment, the Ambassador Bridge blockade was, was a big point for the government, and yet they're willing to throw all of these truckers under their rigs, these people that cross back and forth that are the heart of this trade to begin with. Uh, so to say that that, that the, the big issue was the trade at the Ambassador Bridge seems uh, a, a bit of a, a bit hard to swallow. I took her statement, though, Ray, when she said in the very horrible event that this ever has to happen again, to mean, first of all, the horrible event is invoking of the Emergencies Act. And she was taking the imprimatur, as I mentioned in the introduction, mm -hmm. of uh, the, the hearing of, of Justice Paul Rouleau to mm -hmm. say firstly to Canadians that this act is going to stay on the books and that we will, uh, although we'll do it reluctantly, we'll, we, we will invoke this again. But if we do, it has to happen. So this is the lesson I think that she's taking is one 
that the horrible event will occur and will be in, uh, inflicted on Canadians again at the choosing of either her government or whichever governments uh, follow it, even though that order, and uh, you write about this in your article, Justice uh, Paul Rouleau, he said he was reluctantly granting that this was a legitimate uh, move on the government's part. For those Canadians, now the, the report, his report, by the way, is more than 2,000 pages. I doubt mm-hmm. that there's a handful of Canadians that have read, read it straight through. You yeah. were at the hearings. Uh, how much of this report have you read? And can you boil it down uh, for mm-hmm. those Canadians that don't have that kind of patience mm-hmm. to tell us just what does, what does, this, what does it mean for us? Yeah, I've I've read through the uh, the the overview uh, from from the first you know 275 pages, mm-hmm. and I was there for for a week of the proceedings in mid mid November. Uh, one of the things that it means is that I mean the government can continue using its talking points about about well we invoked the Emergencies Act because of the Ambassador Bridge. And, you know, unless the listener is paying attention, they may forget that the Ambassador Bridge was solved. But by the end of the 13th, the day before the invocation, the day of the 13th of February, the Ambassador Bridge was clear and, and, and trucks were moving by late that evening. We'll also forget that uh, you know we live in a society where people are innocent until proven guilty, but nonetheless, there are people who have been charged with weapons possessions north of Coots, Alberta. Uh, still, those people were arrested by the RCMP under the existing laws of the land. You know, there's all this uh, discussion in the in the in the report and and at testimony before the commission around handling around obtaining tow trucks to tow away the vehicles. Yet we have the uh, the documents now from the protest leaders signed by Tamara Litch and also by the mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, on the 12th of February. They had agreed that 75 percent of all of the vehicles in downtown would be removed by the 16th of February. And the city staff, uh, Kim Iote, Steve Kanalakos, other people had had taken photographs of every single vehicle that was leaving uh, the downtown area. And by noon on the 14th, the day of the invocation, which happened four and a half hours later, 102 vehicles had left. You know, the documentation is clear that the protesters were, were making good on the deal, uh, despite uh, misrepresentations in the media. And if the prime minister just held off uh, of invoking the act, he would have found that by the 16th, 75% of all the vehicles would have been gone. And you don't need to tow trucks that have already left a parking area. Uh, you know, what, what Rouleau has most disturbingly concluded uh, there was lots of discussion throughout all of the people, uh, you know, the, Marco Mendocino, the prime minister and others were saying, well, we invoke the Emergencies Act because the police or the intelligence services had requested us to invoke the act. But uh, one, one, you know, intelligence uh, superintendent after the next, Patrick Morris with the Ontario Provincial Police, um, Thomas Carrick, uh, Brenda Lucky with the RCMP, uh, Director David Vigneault with CSIS, the um, Canada Border Services Agency, John Oskowski. Everyone when asked, uh, did you ask the, uh, the government to invoke the Emergencies Act? They all said no. And, and so the, the government seemed to want to have a showdown. When Prime Minister Trudeau was asked on the stand by, uh, by the lead counsel for the commission, uh, Shantona Chaudhry, um, you know, when, when did invoking the Emergencies Act become a possibility for you? 
And his answer was from the very beginning. So uh, it seems that the government really wanted to, you know, we're, we're hoping with their inflammatory rhetoric to get the protesters, you know, to do something violent. And there, there never were any, you know, or, or, you know, be, to the to the point where on the 14th, when there were, when the act was invoked, there were five arrests for assault in in the in 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 the downtown Ottawa area. But we still don't know if those five individuals who were arrested, if they had anything to do with the protest. And it seems that if there, if any of them had that they'd be on the front cover of McLean's magazine or something by now, because the most serious uh, arrests were like Tamara Lich for, uh, for counseling mischief. So the, you know, the, the, the difference between, you know, Rouleau mistakenly, you know, refers time and again in his report to unlawful behavior of the protesters. And yet Ontario Provincial Justice Hugh McLean, on both the 7th of February, when he, when he had the injunction against horn honking, uh, and also on the 16th of February, two days after the invocation of the act, declared that the protests were legal. And so, uh, and apparently, Rouleau didn't realize until after his report came out on the 17th of February, that Justice McLean had, had reiterated for a second time that the protests were legal. It's really inexplicable. As I recall, the, it would have been such uh, uh, an onerous task that the logistics alone of trying to tow these rigs wasn't really possible. It was just part of a threat by the government because they were saying, well, we're, we're going to tow your rig and we're going to hold it hostage and then you're not going to be able to work, they were saying to the truckers. So it was really just another uh, another way to leverage them into leaving. But that wasn't the only lever that was being used. Do you want to talk a little bit about the threat to not only seize people's bank accounts and, and their assets, but also to seize their children? The Ottawa Police Service interim chief Steve Bell was you know, recommending and suggesting the, the, the Children's Aid Society was blindsided by the press conference announcement that they would be you know, apprehending you know, children from the, from, the truck, from, the, from the protesters, from the protest vehicles. Uh, 25% of the protesters had children with them. I mean, we have thousands of children that are that are part of this protest, and the children are playing ball hockey uh, or, or 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 skating with puck. They are um, they are making snow sculptures. Uh, they're making snowmen, snow angels. They're sitting with their parents, uh, having chicken noodle soup or samosas. Uh, in in the heated uh, cabin of the trucks. I mean, all of the uh, things that the children are doing are are not dangerous at all. Plus, it's uh, you know uh, Patrick uh, Morris of the OPP said that he was quote shocked by the lack of criminality, uh, and 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 they had and had determined that there was no threat to the nation. And over and over again, when people, even National Security Advisor to the Prime Minister Jody Thomas, was taken through. The, t- the four tests for invoking the Emergencies Act, according to the legislation uh, of the Emergencies Act in, in July of 1988, was there any espionage? No. Was there any sabotage? No. Uh, there was no um, no plot to overthrow the government. And then when Jody Thomas is asked uh, about serious acts of violence, she says there was uh, continual violence. So she swaps out the word serious and and, and imports continual violence. And then when she's asked, what do you mean by that? She says, well, there was honking. Well, the honking, uh, you know, I mean, 
Honking is not a reason to invoke an emergency act, but nonetheless, the injunction on the 7th of February uh, by the provincial court was taken seriously, and Tom Morazzo and others uh, and the protest leaders would make sure all the block captains, if there was, and occasionally there was, a rogue truck driver that wanted to honk a horn uh, in the following days, they would go up to that truck driver and say, unless you stop honking right now, we're going to cut your wires to your air horn. And they would stop. So, so was 100% of the honking stopped? No, but almost all of it did stop. And nonetheless, uh, as the RCMP correspondence that was entered as evidence shows, it doesn't matter whether, you know, what the decibel level of an air horn is, you know, never mind a rock concert that's supposed to end at 11 p.m. going to 1.30 in the morning or, or any other kind of noise uh, uh, violations. Noise violations do not trigger a national emergency. And, and so, you know, what, what you end up with is, is none of the four tests uh, that have been on the books since 1988 uh, were uh, were violated over and over again, and and but but yet you have people like Deputy uh, Privy Count, uh, Clerk to the Privy Council Natalie Druon saying you know ch- children were being used as human shields. I mean this is a gross misrepresentation of what the children playing uh, to making a snow sculpture, playing with 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 large Lego outside in the snow were doing, and and so Justice Rouleau now. At here, having heard how dubious the government's argument is, you know, given that none of the four tests were met, you know, because, I mean, Jody Thomas uh, reaches after reaching for honking, says, well, there was pollution. I mean, honestly, there's pollution in a lot of uh, creeks and rivers and all kinds of First Nations, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> homes across the country that haven't been dealt with. If it's well, simply I a wonder- matter of pollution. I wonder how many First Nations truck drivers they were at this who, when they hear the, the, the threat to steal their children, what kind of effect that would have given Canada's history on them. Uh, and it, as far as you're mentioning the act, well, there was an, exi- an existing Emergencies Act, uh, 1988, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, but that, that was another part of the disingen- disingenuous response for the government who were, on the one hand, as I remember it, trying to intimate that, oh, well, this this is an archaic document that really has to be brought up into the 21st century as, as though it was, it was written by Prime Minister McDonald or some such. But if you've just yeah. tuned in, you're listening to Guerrilla Radio. I'm talking today with Ray McGinnis. Ray's an author. He's a retired educator. He says he became concerned with the disconnect between mainstream media and alternative live stream coverage of the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa in 2022. He's also an author. He's uh, penned the books Writing the Sacred, A Psalm-Inspired Path to Appreciate and writing sacred poetry and unanswered questions what the September 11th families asked and the 9-11 commission ignored. Well, I certainly applaud your courage, Ray, in in tackling these lengthy reports, 2,000-plus pages in the case of the commission on the event that invoked, uh, prompted Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act as revised on St. Valentine's Day, the yeah. St. Valentine's Day massacre of Canadian rights and freedoms. Ray has also written, a commission reveals that Trudeau government lied about nature of truckers' protest in Ottawa last February to justify invocation of Emergencies Act. Well, uh, let's get uh, past the, the legalese. This is, oh, well, it, maybe, it is, it, sorry? maybe one thing just to add. So okay. what Rouleau has done now, after listening to all the debate about, you know, were these tests met? No. He's now recommending going forward that if a government wants to invoke the Emergencies Act, it won't have to have these kind of threshold markers of 
espionage and um, sabotage, uh, real actual threats uh, of, of violence or plot to overthrow the government to be there uh, as a kind of a checklist. He says, remove them all. Now what we can, all we need to do is the government only has to have a sense that there are perceived threats. Mm-hmm. So this really lowers the bar, uh, even though he's saying he's trying to keep it s- steady. It really lowers the bar. I mean, anybody with uh, with any kind of who's prone to anxiety or catastrophizing can, can who's in government in a position of leadership can now feel anxious, feel worried, feel threatened about something possibly happening. And then they can go ahead and invoke the the Emergencies Act. Well, we've seen this kind of language with police officers who shoot and kill people after the fact saying, well, no, the person didn't have a weapon that I could see, but I felt threatened or something to this effect so that after the fact they can justify anything. And it's 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 telling to me that the, the use of the term using uh, using the children as human shields where that, that suggests to me that there's a frustration on the part of authorities that these children are being used to protect the people from state violence, as we see so often in Israel. Israel, Palestine, uh, and in this case saying, well, they're there to protect these people from our righteous uh, uh, mounting of a violent attack against them, which they did do, the government did do, and we all remember the pictures of the horse charge going into the civilians, uh, young, old men, women, and children, uh, as if they were with the light brigade or some such thing. Do you want to talk about what happened now after this act, What uh, after the Emergencies Act was invoked and the police actions after that point? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got on your testimony, you've got Bill Blair in the cabinet saying that, that the police action was textbook, you know, it was peaceful. And yet, and yet, there's all kinds of, of live stream video, people with their cell phones that went up on, on YouTube and other places where you could see that police are, you know, tr- with horses trampling a couple of individuals, including an indigenous uh, wo- Mohawk woman, uh, Candace Cerro. You have people, um, Margaret Hope Braun talked about having a barrel of a rifle in front of her. Uh, other people, uh, Chris Deering testified about being, you know, kicked over and over again, although he was an injured veteran. And, uh, you know, people being hit with the butt of a rifle, with the end of a rifle. And so there was an awful lot of police brutality, plus, uh, as evidence, plenty of, of text messages between people who were in the police that were, you know, looking forward to kick ass or feeling it was really, you know, describing the trampling of, of citizens of Canada by the horses as, quote, awesome. Yeah, and you quote Bill Blair, or you, you cite Bill Blair's uh, quote that it in part uh, restored my pride in my profession. Bill Blair is the current uh, minister of emergency emergency preparedness. Uh, I don't know what he meant by his profession, if it restored pride in his profession as a politician in the Trudeau government, but it sounds to me more like in talking about the police, yeah. it restored his pride in his profession as a police officer, yeah. so he's acting not as a minister of the crown, but as a police officer at heart. And he was the police officer, as I recall, in charge of the G20 Toronto police riot in 2010 with Bill Ma- with Bill Blair at the lead. 
Yeah, and 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 what what the government has done too, and and as long as you keep on using this inflammatory rhetoric about people being terrorists, mercenaries, insurrectionists, children as 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 human shields, and so on, it obscures. It makes it makes people think that that the government's option to reach for the the what is supposed to be a last resort, uh, given every other option is not available, but was always available for for uh, you know for. For authorities, just like they did for five months or so in Quebec, they could always have to have uh, have uh, had invoked a curfew and said no one's allowed in the downtown streets after 8 p.m. at night in Ottawa. They could have always, you know, the police never never judged the. Uh, they always believed it was legal, so they never used the riot act. But if they could, they but if they had decided it was it was unruly to the point of a riot, like it was in Vancouver when we lost against the Boston Bruins in 2011 or so, then um, then they could have declared it to be a riot, and they would have you know arrests started arresting people if it was a riot. They could have also used the National Defense Act and 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 called in the army. All of these things are are things that would be less extreme than the extreme uh, decision that the government made. And so a lot of, one of the lessons that unfortunately a lot of Canadians are using is that it's almost as though there's no, there's no awareness of what the laws of the land allow the police or the, even the army to do in, in case of any kind of disruption of any kind. So uh, never mind sitting down. You know what would have happened if uh, if the leader, of, uh, you know, opposition uh, uh, leader of the New Democratic Party of the traditionally the Workers Party, Jagmeet Singh, had gone into the crowd and shook hands with some of the many Sikh truck drivers and talked with them. Maybe he could have brokered a deal to have some discussion. And no matter how well or poorly that might have gone, it could have diffused the situation. Yeah, but, and we have to remember that the junior partner in the government, in the coalition government, the NDP, uh, acquiesced uh, with with the Liberals on this before the fact, not meeting anybody, as you mentioned, as they've acquiesced on so many other things as well, including the war in Ukraine. Ray, we're going to break it here. If you if you have the time, I'd like to continue. <laughs> Moscow, Tokyo, New York, Guerrilla Radio is everywhere at guerrilla-radio.com. Everywhere, all the time. Welcome back to Guerrilla Radio. I'm still talking with Ray McGinnis here, and Ray's the author. He's an, an author, rather, and retired educator. Um, we're talking today about his article at Covert Action Magazine. Commission reveals that Trudeau government lied about nature of truckers' protest in Ottawa last February to justify invocation of Emergencies Act. Well, I guess that's last last February, February yeah. of 2022, for all of those who don't remember in Canada, which I don't think there's very many. So you mentioned, Ray, that in his ruling, Justice Rouleau created a, a a blank slate for the government, and or at least he tried to, and said all oh, all of these onerous uh, um, elements of the 1988 Emergencies Act required before such a thing can be declared by the government should be just erased entirely, and that is being sent along to presumably some commission of the Trudeau government cabinet to refashion this emergencies act do we do we have any ind indication either within the rouleau report or elsewhere when that will happen and what it might look like 
Well, the uh, the report is uh, you know now in the government's hands, and the government can in the next uh, year or two uh, decide to to uh, bring forward legislation to Parliament where they will revise uh, the uh, the language in the Emergencies Act and remove uh, the conditions for invoking an emergency espionage, sabotage, serious acts of violence and plots to overthrow the government and just leave it open uh, for simply the perception of a threat, not a threat that's materialized, but a threat that might might materialize. And uh, and this is this is really dangerous for uh, for a democratic society because people in the wrong hands. I mean, anyone can decide that there are some people who are opposing their, their public policies. And under testimony, the prime minister, when asked about, uh, you know, freedom to, to, to assemble, uh, he said, you know, people have the freedom to assemble. But when people um, are opposing government policies, he says that's, quote, worrisome. So, I mean, it, it, it really is a message to Canadians that, uh, you know, as, as long as you're not protesting anything that the government's policies are, you're free to protest maybe something happening in some other country. But when you're protesting a government policy, you need to, you know, watch out. Well, in this case, though, that that's not true either, because the freedom to assemble was restricted because all of this came about because not only of the uh, COVID vaccine mandates or proposed mandates the government was trying to impose on the truckers, but uh, on students and, and others as well, all of us, in fact, and part of that whole program in the reaction to COVID-19 was restricting public gatherings so that uh, in some cases, Canadians aren't free to assemble, even to go watch a football game or to even go for a walk in the park. Uh, yes. I mean, there were, of course, um, many cases. I mean, I think that there were reports in the news where individuals uh, hiking alone in Nova Scotia on a trail were fined for, for walking outdoors. You know, you know there, were, there was uh, an incident where there was uh, a, a young teenage boy in Calgary outdoors in, in the middle of winter in a skate, you know, an outdoor skating rink uh, being threatened with being tasered by police, you know. So, you know, never mind the um, uh, unvaccinated persons in New Brunswick, uh, that it was up to the individual grocery store whether or not to even allow them to enter the grocery store to buy groceries in order to be able to cook food. And, and so, so all of these restrictions, given that the Charter of Rights and Freedom says that we all have the freedom of mobility to enter and leave Canada and to travel unrestricted across the country, to move to different parts of the country to make a living. And yet what, uh, you know, what the government did by refusing to say that it would be good enough if truck drivers were simply taking a PCR test at the border, for example, which was what the conservative opposition leader at the time, Aaron O'Toole, suggested, plus other trucking industry people, uh, you know, that, I think that if the if the government had said, uh, well, you have to take a PCR test, you know, I mean, you can debate the PCR tests, whatever, but that probably would not have resulted in a, in a in a protest going to Ottawa, but instead they took this hard line. Well, and those tests were at, at universities, for example, provided for people that either didn't want to or felt uh, for religious grounds or health grounds that they couldn't get the vaccine. There was a provision a provision that they could take these uh, these tests uh, weekly, I believe it was. And uh, if they were OK, if they were found to be negative, then they could carry on. 
Yeah, and and one of the things that that was happening coinciding the protests, like in the week that the protests, I think maybe on the weekend when the protest was was heading out from the West Coast, the 22nd, 23rd of January, you have uh, the health committee, I think, of, of, of parliamentary health committee having the health minister Duclos and uh, Dr. Teresa Tam testifying and uh, they're being asked, is there any data that you have to show that truck drivers are spreading COVID-19? And the answer was no, they didn't have any data. So when you're taking a hard line around the, the necessity of doing this and what's backing up your, your, your position is you have no data to support that there's a danger. I mean, the truck drivers are driving across the border and dropping product off at hospitals, at um, hospital where, you know, warehouses, uh, gas stations, uh, hardware stores, grocery stores, and so on. Truck drivers are not driving to uh, long-term care facilities and then walking the halls uh, to, to see grandma or grandpa. So the whole, uh, again, this kind of rhetoric about how dangerous the truck drivers are flew in the face of a complete absence of, of evidence and facts. Yeah, and you quote uh, uh, Brian, Pe- uh, Brian Peckford, the uh, former premier of uh, Newfoundland, and, and he's done. It. He stood up and uh, straight against uh, these uh, introduction of these uh, mandates, these vaccine mandates, as being and the restriction on uh, mobility as being squarely against Canada's charter, a charter that he was himself a signatory to. Yes, and we and 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 anyone who wants to look at their passport can see that on the inside of the passport, it says that you are free to, to travel, you know, unrestricted, uh, you know, to get back into Canada. So the, you know, why make an exception like, of all the things that have happened? I mean, we, there was never an Emergencies Act declared uh, just after September 11th when uh, there were, what, 38 planes in, in Gander and, and nobody knew. I mean, there's all kinds of things people didn't know. They were down in the States. They were saying, well, maybe there's going to be another plane that's going to fly into the Golden Gate Bridge or the Sears Tower in Chicago. And there was all kinds of chaos and so on. But there was no decision to invoke the Emergencies Act on uh, after September 11th in Canada. And when we had a shooter in Ottawa in 2014, I think it was, uh, who who uh, killed uh, uh, one person, and you know, and, and so like that that uh, that was also. I mean, there were all these um, senators and members of parliament huddling, uh, you know, in in, in rooms, uh, afraid for their lives for for over you know ten hours or, or twelve hours, and yet nobody thought. And then there was also the media that came out after the twenty second. They thought there might be other people who were accomplices. There was all kinds of uncertainty. And yet, even when you have Parliament uh, being breached by a shooter running around the halls of, of the Parliament buildings, nobody thought to declare an Emergencies Act at that point. Uh, you know, even though you have people uh, on CTV who are being interviewed uh, that, that are so-called experts saying that they thought that the truck drivers were driving from the Atlantic coast and the Pacific coast purposefully 
to drive their trucks and ram them into the parliament buildings and, and hang uh, parliamentarians from the rafters. Of course, none of that happened. But again, if you offer up these scary stories of what someone's going to do, you can get enough people on side just by alleging something scary is going to happen. Well, even if these allegations were true, which they weren't, as it turned out, we can talk about that. But even if they were, they hardly constitute a threat to the nation. I mean, this isn't something you call out the Navy for or the Air Force. I mean, it, bad things happen, but it's not. we'd like to think that our institutions are are solid enough that they can withstand and weather these uh, isolated uh, and localized uh, events and attacks. It's not as if uh, the whole edifice of Canadian governance is going to come crashing down. But you wouldn't know that to listen to the public safety minister, uh, uh, Marco Mendacious Mendocino, yeah. who was yelling rape running around with his hair on fire saying that the the protesters the truckers in this instance but and we must remember it's not just the truckers they were joined by many other canadians who nurses doctors scientists all sorts (laughs) but he says that they're rapists and uh, invoking what sounds quite trump-esque really that the that they're coming down there with guns they're wanting to use their children as 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 shields as they go about their raping and pillaging of Ottawa. And, of course, uh, under testimony, Mendocino was asked, like, you know, he was like, did you know that there were no police charges against any protester uh, concerning rape against any individual throughout the protests? And his answer was, well, just because there wasn't a, a charge laid against anyone doesn't mean it didn't happen. And so there we are again in this kind of netherworld of, well, you know, I'm, you know, it's like, it's like you're invited over to to some friends this summer, this coming summer to to have a barbecue. And you say, well, I'm not going to accept your invitation because I'm worried I might be stung by a swarm of bees. I mean, you know, really, it's. Yeah, just because it didn't happen doesn't mean uh, it couldn't happen, too. And so we've got to be prepared for every eventuality and and set forth to wrap the country in uh, bubble wrap. Yeah, and and you've got I mean, again like one allegation and inference after the next. We have um, former Supreme Court Justice Beverly McLaughlin writing her uh, uh, influential opinion piece in the Globe of Mail just around the time of the uh, invocation of the Emergencies Act in the Parliament on the 22nd of February uh, of last year, and she she said, you know, what does this freedom mean? You know, freedom to utter death threats against the Prime Minister. Now. I am not in favor of anyone offering, you know, uttering death threats against the prime minister or any leader of the opposition or ever any member of parliament, period. But uh, as of today, no one is facing pending or actual charges uh, uh, for uttering death threats against the prime minister who is connected with the protests. And, and so, again, there's this freedom to infer that something might be the case without taking responsibility for, for, you know, maybe Beverly Lachlan could, could write a little, a little piece, a correction to her, to her opinion piece a year ago and say, you know, well, folks, actually, nobody ever did utter death threats against the prime minister that was connected to the protest. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Yeah, I somehow don't think that's going to happen, Ray. If you've just tuned in again, I'm speaking with Ray McInnes. Ray's an author and retired educator. We're talking about his article at Covert Action Magazine. Commission reveals that Trudeau government lied about nature of truckers' protest in Ottawa last February to justify invocation of Emergencies Act. Clearly, as we've been saying, it wasn't just the government that lied, but the media too lied. What about the media narrative uh, surrounding all of this, Ray? 
Well, the, the, you know, there's there's a lot of things like depictions of. I mean, like, I mean, I'm somebody who has watched with concern, you know, uh, many many, you know, of my favorite films. You know, Black Klansman, a uh, book about, you know, all all kind, you know, books and so on about you know racism by the KKK against African Americans and and other other things over over the years you know I've been you know and I'm a almost a lifelong voter for the NDP uh, I don't know I'm kind of in the netherworld now so my predisposition would be to be concerned now I also don't have a TV I haven't had one since the Persian Gulf War, so I get my news. Primarily. Which which Persian Gulf War? Well, the one back in 1991. <laughs> so so I'm not I'm not like a lot of other Canadians who are are being uh, you know digesting all of these visual TV news images. I'm I'm reading things and listening to the radio somewhat, and and you know seeing a few things online of live stream, and so as far as you know Nazi flags, I mean. You know, if this was like uh, is it the, the place in um, in West Virginia where there was actually a a, a KKK protest and somebody, Charlotte, uh, Charlotteville, yeah, Char yeah, Charlotteville. You know, if that was what was actually happening in in Ottawa, I would be you know upset and, and certainly against the protesters. But what you have clear footage from coast to coast of a sea. I mean, at every intersection where there's a side road or a lane coming onto the Trans Canada Highway, every overpass. You have a sea from coast to coast of Canadian flags. And then what does the media focus on? They focus on this one person with a, you know, with a, with a swastika, Nazi flag, who curiously is spending a lot of time. I mean, whenever they walk amongst the protesters, the protesters are mostly saying, go away. So this person walks a lot of the time around the, uh, the Chateau, Chateau Laurier, which happened at the time to have you know, hotel guests, many of whom were members of the RCMP. Uh, there's all this inflammatory rhetoric, uh, interviews with, with uh, politicians, uh, uh, city council, uh, federal government, about um, ideologically motivated violent extremists. And, you know, and, and of course, perhaps one of the most visible signs of something disturbing would be a Nazi flag. But what did the police and intelligence services do in the face of, of, of this individual flag bearer? They didn't walk up to, to him and ask you, what, what are you doing? Why, are you, why have you got this flag here? They didn't ask this person to go to a police station and, and discuss what they were doing and how unhelpful this is. But that, get, that, you know, that, would you know. be, that wouldn't be something I would welcome either. I mean, if, no. if somebody, you know, I've always said, if, if, if you're at any kind of demonstration and there's somebody walking around with a swastika or the stars and bars, all that says to me is that person is an asshole or, or yeah. they are a, a agent provocateur. Yeah, I mean, may, you know, maybe they were trying to say, you know, what's going on in Canada is dangerous. Look what happened in Germany, or maybe they're an agent provocateur, or maybe they're an asshole. But the but the police and the intelligence services should, if there was all this concern about ideological rhetoric, somebody should have gone up to that individual, followed them to their vehicle, and written down their license plate, or called them in for an interview. You know, taken them off the, you know, off, you know, and 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 grilled them. But instead, the police are just happy to sit in their Tim Hortons and watch, uh, you know, uh, you know, look at their cell phones and eat, have coffee and donuts. Well, I don't want I don't want to disparage the police here in yeah. Victoria. There, they, there was a case of uh, police that were supporting the marches because these marches didn't and, and manifestations. Yeah. 
and rallies didn't happen just in Ottawa. They happened all across the country. And here in Victoria, we had one too, that became quite famous for a policeman, you know, showing a high five sign to some of the protesters. There were other police in this country that far from being uh, antagonistic towards as those, uh, the cavalry charge proved to be later, they were quite sympathetic. Oh, yeah. yeah, And I'm not disparaging the police. I'm simply saying that in the face of all of the rhetoric about how terrible it is that this person's carrying a flag and it's reprehensible and so on, the lack of interest on the part of the police is just odd, you know. Well, I would say that the exaggerated hyper interest by the media is odd too. When they, yeah. when I studied media, you don't uh, you, you you don't magnify the minuscule to make it the story. And as yeah. you said, throughout this case, we saw thousands upon thousands of Canadians from uh, coast to coast cheering the convoy as it headed towards Ottawa. People that were concerned about this, the direction the government was going vis-a-vis these uh, COVID mandates and, and support of making a statement in Ottawa because the government was not engaging their concerns. Those people were given coverage, but not nearly the kind of coverage that a single flag carrier or two at the demonstration that anybody with even the smallest bit of imagination could could surmise that perhaps this person was there to discredit the yeah. message. When I mentioned the 2010 G20 in Toronto that Bill Blair was uh, leading and, and how it cracked heads of Canadian citizens for <laughs> just having the temerity of being in the wrong place at the wrong time saying the wrong thing. We saw in Montebello, Quebec at another NAFTA summit where uh, members of the Quebec Sûreté were found dressed up as protesters carrying bricks and were called out in that instance, were caught brick-handed, as it were, uh, and it was revealed that they were, in fact, there to create an environment that the police could then justify a violent uh, reaction in their terminology to a a violent protest that was, in fact, a, a peaceful manifestation, perfectly legal in every way. And in the in the report itself, um, uh, Keith Wilson, who was lawyer for Freedom Corp, testified and talked about how the uh, the protest leaders had to you know have block captains and people all all night kind of you know standing guard to make sure everything was okay because Antifa uh, you know people were coming in with with hoodies and and slashing tires of trucks and such. Rouleau, in his report, mentions this and says. See, there was unlawful activity going on, even though in this case it wasn't the unlawful activity of the protesters at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any anything that the, 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 the commissioner could cite as a as a reason to, to go to the to the talking point about unlawful activity, he would go there re- regardless of, of responsibly uh, identifying who's doing the unlawful activity. Well, and Antifa being the acronymic uh, anti-fascist organization that's been proved that is international, but in North America especially has been proven time again to be uh, a collection of agents provocateurs that their whole their whole raison d'etre is to go and and give whatever demonstration, whether it's uh, uh, Black Lives Matter or, or uh, G20 meetings or any other one, they're there to to give them a black eye, uh, same as the Black Bloc. Yeah. Yeah. Ray, before uh, before going, now I really appreciate you staying longer than we agreed to. And I, I was really interested in your website as well, unansweredquestions.ca. Uh, I mentioned earlier that you've written, uh, you're the author of the book, 
uh, as well as writing the sacred, a psalm-inspired uh, path to writing and appreciating sacred poetry. You wrote something that might seem a little anachronistic to that. Uh, what the September 11th families asked uh, and the 9-11 uh, commission ignored. Nine, we don't hear much about 9-11 except occasionally on uh, the 10th of September. We're approaching now, what is it, the, the 22nd anniversary of the yeah. event. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, your experience writing the book and especially the frustration of the families trying to get answers as I feel that this is where we'll be going for many years to come, getting answers to what we've experienced here and how it was we ended up saddled with this onerous emergencies act that is pending. I mean, at, at the point that I started to decide to take on the the story, I, I I mean, I've been I've been teaching for for numbers of decades up until my retirement. I was teaching memoir writing, uh, journal writing, poetry workshops, um, and the vast majority of my participants in my workshops across the country were were women. Uh, I was interested. I, I happened to come across a book uh, one day at an airport in 2007, I believe, uh, by Kristen Breitweiser, uh, who's uh, husband Ron died in the South Tower, and her book Wake Up Call, The Political Education of a 9-11 Widow, uh, detailed the creation of the Family Steering Committee for the 9-11 Independent Commission made up of 12 individuals representing tens of thousands of families that went to Washington, D.C., knocked on all the doors of all the members of Congress and all the senators to press for an investigation, which the Bush administration and the vice president were especially reluctant to have any investigation. That uh, Cheney had said, uh, that having an investigation would only give comfort to the terrorists, he said. So, uh, so I was surprised in 2007. Although I, you know, I'd been exposed to lots of stories in the media, and I'd listened at the time was always often listening to the CBC and you know reading the Vancouver Sun and so on. I was surprised that I could go for six years, and although I mean I knew that there was a 9/11 commission. But I hadn't uh, been aware that, that if not for the families of the, of the victims, there would never have been an investigation at all. So I went off and looked at their, uh, their website, which still remains, looked at their uh, many hundreds of questions, uh, looked at their 50 press releases, uh, looked at all the C-SPAN um, testimony of families before the 9-11 Commission and read many, you know, many books and, and so on. And, and I thought there needs to be a story. And I, I'm, because the people who were taking my writing workshops were not, I mean, they're interested in, in politics and the world around them. But the people that I knew taking my writing workshops are not the kind of people who are going to sit down and watch CNN Crossfire or, you know, or even the panel on CBC with Andrew Coyne and, 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 uh, and others. They're, they're you know, they, they, that, that's not their entry point into hardball discussions about uh, taking positions. And so I wrote a book with a certain narrative style, introducing the readers to, you know, who is Mindy Kleinberg, who lost her husband, Alan, who is Patty Casaza, who lost her husband, John, who is Lori Van Auken, who lost her husband, uh, Kenneth, and, and so on. And, and, and so weaving throughout, you know, I, I do, of course, have to deal with, with some of the questions that were, that were asked by the families that the 9-11 Commission didn't answer, but I weave through you know, some of the testimony of the families uh, so that the reader can stay connected to the personal narrative as well as dealing with the, you know, the factual uh, informational detail in the book. 
uh, Jeremy Kuzmarov wrote uh, mentioned you in his article and, and featured your book Unanswered Questions and, and and I guess it's a matter of priority where he quotes you as saying that the 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 Bush commission the Bush sponsored commission only spent 14 million dollars investigating the 9/11 attacks as opposed to the 80 plus million spent to uh, investigate Bill Clinton's involvement in this that and the other yeah yeah it's it's uh you know, it's it seems that the, you know the well the commission Philip Zelico was the uh, executive director, and the commission had uh, uh, he and uh, and 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 another senior uh, executive uh, Ernst May uh, had written a outline for the the report, really prescribing what you know what all the chapter headings would be and the subheadings. And so, of course, uh, when when the report comes out in the summer of, of 2004, it looks almost identical. I mean, almost word for word with all the chapter headings and subheadings. Now, if you want to do a, an investigation, you don't decide ahead of time what you're going to find. You 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 are surprised by certain star witnesses. I mean, they had 18 days of public testimony plus a lot of behind closed doors private testimony by different uh, staff teams for the 9-11 Commission. But normally in an investigation, people come up with information that takes takes your uh, your investigation in new directions. But instead, they had a story about what the, the Commission would find before they began. And that's highly problematic. Well, not only a story, but they 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 had a program. They they had their their own aims and goals, uh, and that was getting the war uh, against you uh, Iraq going. What what do you think, uh, Ray? Are the goals here in Canada in formulating a rejigged Emergencies Act, as uh, has been suggested by Justice Rouleau and the current uh, government? I think that. There, there must be some people uh, in government that, that understand that when you remove the, the four conditions for triggering invoking an Emergencies Act and leave it to the vagaries of, uh, of perceived threat, and given the government's willingness to repeat over and over again about the coots, uh, you know, the arrest of people in coots with firearms who were arrested under you know under the laws of the land by the RCMP, repeating uh, the Ambassador Bridge as a reason to invoke the Emergencies Act, nonetheless, even though it had been uh, resolved the day before, that this this kind of muddying of things is very concerning because it it seems to signal a uh, a drift towards a more autocratic style of governance, and that all of the pandemic measures that we've seen, which have mostly been um, justified simply by I mean, a capitalized word with capital B E C A U S E, because you know, because I say so. There's there's been no interest in having uh, dialogue uh, or debate with any doctors or scientists about about the government's case for any number of measures. Even though we can see John Hopkins University coming out saying that uh, that the lockdown measures might have pre- prevented 0.02 percent of of the deaths with or from COVID. And, and so on. So it seems that um, the template going forward is simply citizens being ruled by a government that simply says over and over again, we know best. Well, Ray, you finish uh, your article asking the question, did the Liberal cabinet break the law? And you cite 
Justice Richard Mosley, who asked for, ordered, in fact, in the investigation, uh, internal emails uh, going back and forth between the Liberal ca- uh, cabinet members about uh, what was going on, what uh, what evidence or uh, aspects of what was going on decided them to proceed as they did. And he, you quote him saying, evidence of the cabinet proceedings that led to the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act was not disclosed despite repeated requests. So did the cabinet break the law in defying Justice Richard Mosley and perhaps in other ways too, do you think? Well, that may be determined in a, in a, uh, a civil, I'm not sure, the, the lawsuit with, the, uh, with uh, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, which is going forward, uh, which, is, which is where this all came out, I mean, the government has, you know, notwithstanding the four exceptions, you know, the four threshold uh, markers for invoking the act mentioned before, espionage, sabotage, serious acts of violence and so on. The government got around uh, all of this by expanding the definition of a threat and basing their justification on a legal ruling, uh, I mean, on, 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 on legal advice. Uh, given to uh, Attorney General Lametti, uh, which he will not reveal uh, based on solicitor-client privilege, and so even in the in the testimony, Justice Rouleau said, "So really, you're 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 telling Canadians and you're telling the Commission just to trust us. You know, I've had legal advice that that uh, the emergency threshold was met, and I can't tell you what it is, but you need to trust me because I'm." A trustworthy person, or so I believe well, myself well, those, to be. Those those tests are espionage, sabotage, serious acts of violence, plots to overthrow the government, and foreign influence. We've already seen that Putin was behind it. Uh, now yeah. we're hearing a lot about Chinese foreign influence. This seems to be the bogeyman of the future, and any uh, suggestion that some foreign country is influencing Canada, never mind the influence that uh, can the pernicious influence, I'll add, that Canada has in trying to shape foreign governments like Haiti and Honduras and in other places. But that seems to be the very low benchmark that we can look forward to, in my view. The big headline in late January by the CBC in 2022 that maybe Russian actors are are the catalyst to inspire truck drivers to suddenly drive across the country in winter to protest in Ottawa. And then the CBC can quietly retract that allegation on February 4th. And then the ombudsman for the CBC can quietly uh, issue a press release or make a statement in, in October of 2022, chastising the, broad, the public broadcaster for failing to meet its journalistic standards and, and reminding journalists and reporters that when they report a story uh, on the CBC, that the story needs to be based on, quote, evidence. Yeah. And, and, and so, but, but most people are not going to have seen the report by the, or the statement by the, the CBC ombudsman last October. Most people won't even know that the CBC retracted their allegations in February, uh, early February last year. All they're going to remember, perhaps if they heard about it, was that the CBC was suggesting that, uh, that Putin was doing, was involved in this somehow. 
Yeah, well, it's the old trick, you know, put your corrections on on page 18 and, and microprint uh, <laughs> your lies in the header on the page one. Well, Ray, McG uh, Ray McGinnis, thanks a lot for coming on. And Ray, you can find his article again at covertactionmagazine.com. The, ar the article is Commission Reveals that Trudeau Government Lied About Nature of Truckers protests in Ottawa last February to justify invocation of Emergencies Act. Thanks a lot for coming on, eh, Ray? It's been a pleasure, Chris. Good to talk to you. Their message always to everybody through all their advertising, all their PR, everything is, we are your friends. And it's like, no, you are not our friends. Friends are not people whose bottom line is how much profit they can make out of you. It is completely different. Guerrilla Radio, knowing who our real friends are since 1999. We're running out of time to put out a fire.